Well, good morning. I'm sure grateful to be with you, worshiping our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, today. So we've been going through a series here at Church on Mill called Behold Our God. And as we've been going through these sermons for the past four weeks, our desire has been that we would come to a better understanding of who our God is. So we want a truer perspective that's, that's based upon the Scriptures. But we don't just want head knowledge. We want a knowledge of God that compels us to worship and that compels us to obey Jesus Christ. So we begin the series simply by saying, God actually wants us to know Him. So that's a great thing. That's great news. God invites us to know Himself. And then for the past three weeks, Pastor Chuck has shared from the Bible that God is triune. So He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is fully God, and yet there is one God. And what a mystery, but what a mystery that's of great benefit to us for all eternity. So today, I have the privilege and the task of sharing with you about God's greatness. So when, when Bible scholars and theologians talk about God's greatness, they use a fancy term. They use this word, God's infinitude. So it's a strange word, but it simply means that God is limitless. So A.W. Tozer has written an incredibly helpful little book called The Knowledge of the Holy that I highly recommend, and he gives a definition that I think is helpful of God's infinitude. Tozer says, God knows no bounds. Whatever God is and all that God is, He is without limit and without measure. So this truth of God's infinitude, it's, it's not something that we can easily or, or ever fully grasp, but it's something that we can know and we can confidently believe because this is something that God has revealed about Himself in the Scriptures. So often when we think of God's infinitude, um, our minds may go to God's eternal existence. The, the Psalms say, from everlasting to everlasting He is God. So there's never a time that God was not. And you may also, when you think of God's infinitude, you may think of God's limitless presence. So the, the fancy word for that is His omnipresence. So that there's no place we can go where God isn't. Um, my mentor, John Del Husse, at Phoenix Seminary has a great way of saying this. He says, God is further than the farthest star, and He's closer than your jugular vein. And yet, even though God is everywhere present in creation, He's wholly other from creation, because He's the Creator, not the creation. So, infinitude, we think of God's eternal existence, His, His limitless presence, but it doesn't end there. To say that God is great and infinite is to say that God knows no bound in any part of who He is. So His knowledge has no limit. His love has no beginning 
and no end. His power can never be overcome. It can never be measured. And His goodness, His justice, His holiness, His mercy all have no limit. And we could go on and on and on. And I have the challenge of explaining to you three small words. God is great. And suddenly, that becomes a big task. So as I've been studying, praying, and preparing this week uh, for what I might share, I've had a really strange experience. I've never had this before, um, but I felt completely overwhelmed this week by the task of declaring God's greatness. I felt crushed by the weight of the message. I thought, how in the world do, do I, I'm a finite, limited, sinful, created human being, so how do I communicate to you, finite, limited, sinful human beings, how do I communicate and adequately express the infinite greatness of God? And so as I struggled under that weight, I, I had a unique experience this week that it gave me a physical picture of what I was dealing with. So on July 4th, on, on Friday evening, Leanne called me out to the backyard because our garden hose wouldn't stop running. So she'd, she'd turned it all the way off, but the water kept coming. Uh, and so she said, help. Uh, so I found out what the problem was. I shut off the water main, and I found out that the pipe that comes out of our house has this little faucet, and this little faucet has inside of it a little rubber piece that when you tighten this down, it seals and keeps the water from coming through, and when you lift it up, the water comes out. And that little rubber piece had disintegrated and broken, and so the water just kept coming. So, fortunately, Home Depot was open on July 4th. And I got in the car and I drove and I got a new faucet. And as I was driving back home, I remembered something that I had read earlier in the day about Niagara Falls. So, Niagara Falls, you probably know, it's on the border of the U.S. and Canada. It's actually made up of three waterfalls. And according to Wikipedia, uh, Niagara Falls has the highest flow rate of any waterfall in the world. It's actually, it's, it's not the largest, but it has the highest flow rate. So this waterfall has a vertical drop of 170 feet. So take a half a football field and stand it on end. That's how far the water's falling. And the experts tell us, and this wasn't Wikipedia, this was something even more reliable. Um, <laughs> but the experts tell us, that 750,000 gallons of water pour over this falls, not every hour, not every minute, but 750,000 gallons of water every second are coming over this waterfall. So as I was driving home, all of a sudden the, the different things going on in my mind collided. And so this, this annoying broken faucet, what I'd read about Niagara Falls, and then this struggle I was having thinking about preaching about God's greatness. And I realized that trying to, to grasp 
and communicate God's infinite greatness in a complete way, it's like trying to use a broken garden hose faucet to harness and channel the power of Niagara Falls. It's simply impossible. But, but even that is an illustration that has huge limits. Because believe it or not, we actually have a better chance of harnessing and channeling the powerful flow of Niagara Falls with this stupid broken faucet. We have a better chance of doing that than any chance we might imagine of exhausting and fully comprehending and controlling the God of infinite greatness. So if you, if you want to understand how great and massive Niagara Falls is, uh, you could try to, to hear someone talk about it. And you might, if they do a good job, you might get an appreciation for just how wonderful that waterfall is. But if you really want a person to understand how immense and powerful Niagara Falls is, you bring them to the waterfall. Then they can look over the lookout on that edge. They can look down 170 feet and their stomach can turn as they watch the water pour over. Or they can get on the, the boat, the maid in the mist, that goes up to, to the base where the water crashes and they can feel the water splash on their face. They can taste the mist. They can hear the roar of 750,000 gallons a second. So that's how a person understands the greatness of Niagara Falls. And if we think about that, and if we compare how a person knows that greatness with how a person knows the greatness of God, I think we can see a correlation. I could spend the rest of this morning trying to explain God's infinite greatness. But today, I would rather invite you to taste God's greatness for yourself. I would rather invite you to catch a glimpse of our infinite God. So the scriptures... These, these are the very words of God. That's what we believe here at Church on Mill. These words, they tell us an amazing story that reveals God's greatness. And today, I simply want to invite you into this story. We, we don't have time today to explore all the details. It's too wonderful of a story. But today, I'd like us to follow some pieces of the major plot line and we'll, we'll stop off along the way and spend some more time in a few passages that especially speak of God's greatness. When that happens, you'll see a scripture reference on the screen. And I'd encourage you to, to look it up in your Bible if you'd like to. But you're also welcome just to sit and listen to the word of the Lord. And in hearing God's word, to, to come to a better understanding of his greatness. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of the morning. We're going to as it were with Niagara Falls, get on the maid in the mist and we're going to move towards the falls. We're just going to walk through this story that reveals God's greatness. But before we go any further, I think we should pray 
and ask God's Holy Spirit to guide us through that process. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we're gathered. and We want to honor you. I want to honor you with the words that I speak. Lord, we all want to honor you. That's our, that's our prayer today. By the way, we listen. So give us attentive hearts. And we pray that by your power, we would see the infinite greatness of who you are better when we walk out of this room today than when we walked in. And that we wouldn't just see it, but we would be changed by it, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simply by speaking. So the universe, time, space, existence, life itself, these are the mysteries that philosophers and scientists, they spend their whole lives trying to explain and wrestle down, and they never even scratch the surface. And these are the things that God brought into existence from nothing simply by Speaking. And God created humans, male and female. He made them in his image. And then the infinite God of greatness, he gave himself to humans in relationship. But if you've read even the first small pieces of this story, you know that people rebelled quickly. And they chose their own way. They forgot God's greatness and they sought their own greatness. And so humanity was separated from God because of their rebellion, which is called sin. So time went on and sin continued to spread. It affected and it infected every single person on the planet. And to this day, all of us are sinners before the great and holy God. So we've all chosen to go our own way. We've all ignored His greatness. But God's plan and God's desire was to redeem, to reconcile, and to restore. So as the story progresses, in the course of time, God called a sinful man named Abraham, and he called him to a very special role. You know that God called Abraham and said he would give him a great family, and that in him, all the families, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so Abraham did indeed become a great nation. His descendants became the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. And sin continued to spread among humanity. And hundreds of years after Abraham, the Hebrew people found themselves in bondage as slaves in Egypt, a land where false gods were worshipped, and a land where human rulers, the pharaohs, were thought of as gods in the flesh. 
And you know the story of Moses that, that God called a man to shepherd and lead his people out of slavery. You know that God sent plagues until Pharaoh relented and said, you can go, Israel. And then God led the people out towards the Red Sea. But you probably remember that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he changed his mind. And so he gathered his army and went after Israel. And so the people had reached the Red Sea, but now Pharaoh's army was behind them. And so they found themselves trapped. And in that moment, Israel's only hope was a God of infinite greatness. And you may know what comes next, and you may have heard this story so many times that it's lost its meaning. But really, try to think about the reality of what happened in that moment. So as Pharaoh's army is bearing down, and, and the people are trapped before a great sea, the Bible says that the angel of God and a pillar of cloud came and stood between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And on the side of Egypt, it brought darkness. And on Israel's side, it brought light. And all through the night, God blew with a great wind and drove back the sea. And Israel passed through the water safely on dry land. But then the walls of the sea collapsed upon Pharaoh and his army. And so the so-called God of Egypt and his whole army, they drowned at water that moved at God's command. Then Moses and all the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Oh, the Lord is my strength and my song, and He's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord, Yahweh, is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His army, He is hurled into the sea. Even the best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Oh, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, it shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble by the blast of your nostrils. The waters piled up. The surging waters, they stood firm like a wall. The deep waters, they congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy, this is Pharaoh, he boasted. He said, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils and gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But, Lord, you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your hand, your right hand, 
and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed in your strength. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. And the great God did bring his people to a dwelling. He brought them to the land that long ago he had promised to Abraham. And then he also gave his people instructions. His desire was that they would enjoy right relationship with him and right relationship with others and that they would be a light to the nations around them. But sin continued in the earth. And sin continued in humanity. So kings came and kings went, nations rose, and nations fell. And Israel and all peoples of the world continued to ignore the greatness of God. And they continued to worship false gods in His place. But God was and God always is and ever will be faithful. His plan and His desire to redeem, to restore, to reconcile, it never changed. And so God disciplined His people, even as a father disciplines children that He loves. And God sent prophets to warn His people of the judgment that was heaping up because of their sin to warn them to turn and not persist in rebelling against God. And so Isaiah was one of these prophets. He was a man who with his own eyes, he beheld God's glory. And Isaiah was commissioned by God to warn the Lord's people. He told them that they would face captivity again because of their sin. But God also commissioned Isaiah to speak of a coming day of restoration, a day of salvation. So, Isaiah the prophet, he spoke the word of the Lord to God's people. He said, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and His arm rules for Him. See, His reward is with Him and His recompense accompanies Him. He, the Sovereign Lord, He tends His flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in His arm and He carries them close to His heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Or with the breadth of His hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or who has weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed Him as His counselor? Or whom did the Lord consult to enlighten Him? And who taught Him the right way? Who was it that taught God knowledge or showed Him the path of understanding? The expected answer is no one. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Boop. 
They're regarded as dust on the scales. The Lord weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. So to whom will you compare the Lord? To whom will you compare God? What image will you compare Him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and then a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and he fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering, he selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that that won't topple. Oh, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? The Lord, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. So no sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than He, the Lord, He blows upon them and they wither. And then a whirlwind sweeps them away like the chaff. So to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one, calls them each by name? Because of His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So when we look up at the night sky and see every star exactly where it is, it's only there because the sovereign God has called it to be there. So why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you complain, O Israel? Saying, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So Isaiah spoke those words and many other words as the Lord called him. And there were many other prophets that came after Isaiah to declare the word of the Lord, as there were prophets before him. And in the fullness of time, God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have eternal life. So Jesus Christ, even though He was in very nature God, 
He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took the very form of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And he was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. And Jesus became obedient all the way to death. Even obedient to death on a cross. So Jesus Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to his disciple Peter and then to the twelve disciples. And after that he appeared to more than five hundred. So by the very power of God, Jesus rose from the dead with a glorified body never to die again. Jesus is the first fruits of God's new creation, the firstborn from the dead. And God now invites all who trust in Jesus to share in this new life of Christ, to know His redemption, His reconciliation, His restoration. And God exalted Jesus to the very highest place. He gave Him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the promise of this word is that Jesus will return. That one day, this sin-infested creation will be done away, and God's new restored creation will come, and Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. Now, I'd like to tell you how we fit into this story, brothers and sisters. In this story, we actually find ourselves in a terrible, terrible predicament. We were, and some of us still are, trapped. Like Israel with Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, in this story, we are trapped. Because there's a terrible force that is pursuing us from behind. And ahead of us, there's something even worse. And we have nowhere to go. So behind us is the crushing weight of all our sin. So all the ways we've rebelled against God, all the ways we've ignored His greatness, tried to magnify our greatness, all the ways we've worshipped things other than God, all the things that we knew we should have done but we failed to do, all the evil that we've thought or done against others, all of that, the weight of that sin is bearing down upon us from behind. Like, like a mighty dust storm. You've seen the pictures 
just consumes the city of Phoenix. So the weight of our sin is it's rolling, barreling in upon us. It's about to consume and destroy us. So if we step back, we'll just be destroyed sooner. But if we try to move away from that, oh, if we try to step forward, it's even worse. Because in front of us, there's a raging ocean. And the ocean, it's surging with condemnation and with judgment. It's condemnation and it's judgment that you and I deserve. The waves are crashing on the rocks and they're reminding us that our sins, they have a penalty. And that we have earned sin's reward, which is death and separation from God. And in between these two, there is no escape. But then, we look back behind us over our shoulder, and we see Jesus Christ himself. Like the angel of the Lord stood between the army of Egypt and the people of Israel, so we see Jesus standing between us and between the crushing weight of our sins. And then the unthinkable happens. Jesus Christ bears the weight of all of our sins. So the sin storm, it falls upon Jesus Christ and He is crushed by it. And Jesus, He falls headlong into the ocean and the waves of our condemnation and our judgment, they close over His sinking body. And the sky goes black and we stand in shock facing the sea. But on the third day, Christ rose again. On the third day, Christ rose again. By the power of God's Spirit, Jesus Christ breathes new life. It's life that will never, ever die. And so we look behind us where the weight of our sin was, and we see nothing. And we turn and face ahead, and we see that a path is being made through the sea of condemnation and judgment. We see that Jesus is breathing resurrection life and a way is being opened up. And so we see that all of our condemnation is piled up on the right and all of our judgment is piled up on 
the left, and there is a dry path. A way is made by Jesus through the waters of condemnation and judgment. And God, the Holy Spirit, He convicts our hearts of sin, of righteousness and judgment. And we realize that if it weren't for Christ, we would have no hope. And the God of infinite greatness, He invites us to believe in Jesus Christ and to find our salvation in Him. And so by faith in Him, we follow God's call and and we walk on dry land. And we're untouched by condemnation and by judgment. And we're led by Jesus Christ Himself into the resurrection life of God. We're led towards restoration, towards redemption and reconciliation with God. We're led to eternal life. Life with the God of infinite greatness. The God who saves. So that's how we fit into this story. How might we respond to the God of greatness who reveals himself throughout his own story? And his story, by the way, is really the story of reality. How do we respond to what he's revealed? I believe today we should respond in humble worship. We should cry out with the song of Moses when God delivered His people from Egypt, saying, Who among the gods is like You, O Lord? Oh, who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And we should sing a prayer of thanks using the words of Isaiah's prophecy saying, Oh God, you tend your flock like a shepherd. You gathered your lambs in your arms. You carried them close to your heart. You gently lead those who are young. So we should cry out and say, Oh God of infinite greatness, you've shown your greatness in the salvation of Jesus Christ. So today... If you've caught even a glimpse of the greatness of God in his story, then give him your worship. Give him your obedience. Confess to him all your sins and all your needs because he is infinitely sufficient for everything that you face. And today, if you've never believed, if you've never trusted in Christ, trust Him today. Recognize where you fit in His story and that you are in a place of dire, desperate need. And trust Him as your Savior. 